This Bee Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate, so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K through 12th grade curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. If you want to bring IXL to your school, you can learn more at IXL.com backslash B-E. That's IXL.com backslash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, activity periods, RTI, therapy, and teacher appointments, and much more. With its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE. This is Dr. Karen, and this is the Are They 18 Yet podcast, where I help parents raise independent, self-sufficient kids without sacrificing their own identity and sense of purpose. I'm here to share practical day-to-day solutions for raising kind, successful, well-adjusted human beings, and actionable advice for supporting systemic changes so we can make this world a more inclusive, accepting place now and for future generations. Hey everybody, it's Dr. Karen, and welcome to episode 28 of the Are They 18 Yet podcast. In this episode, I am going to continue my discussion on structured intervention for literacy. So I'm talking about the components that need to be in place for kids to learn how to decode and encode words successfully. So decoding means reading words and encoding means writing and spelling words. The initial question that I had was, what is technology and texting doing to our kids' reading and spelling skills? But in order to be able to answer that question, we not only need to look at the literacy trends, but we also need to figure out why certain trends are happening. And we can't do that without understanding how kids learn to read in the first place and what components need to be in place in order for them to have exposure to the right skills, in the right contexts, in the right ways. To give a summary of where we left off in episode 27, I started out by discussing the fact that, yes, communication, socialization is very different nowadays. And because of that, kids are exposed to 
spelling contexts and rules that are different than when I was growing up, for example. So they're doing a lot of texting, which means that sometimes the rules of grammar and spelling when you're texting are different than back in the day when I used to just write a note to my friend and I would write in complete sentences. So we've got to consider how those different rules are affecting kids' writing and their understanding of some of those grammatical rules that they might need to know in order to be successful in certain academic settings and also just develop those reading and spelling skills that they might need to use in in professional settings as well. Now, while the research is kind of inconclusive about the long-term effects, this is definitely something that we want to consider, especially when we think about kids who might be struggling and might need additional exposure to certain skills and also might have a hard time understanding how the rules of grammar and spelling might be a little different from texting versus other settings. And we also want to consider what kinds of things that they're practicing while they're doing things like texting. But the overall conclusion is that if we're going to think about how to support readers and spellers and help kids to develop these skills, we want to think about, okay, regardless of whether texting is going on, which we know that it probably is, we want to think about what needs to be there in order for kids to be successful. And those three things that I mentioned were structured intervention, active and generative use, and integration of skills. So those are the things that need to be in place for kids to develop language skills and literacy skills. So in episode 27, I started talking about the structured intervention component, and I got into three specific skills that we can teach kids that really falls under that category of structured intervention. So basically, it's what skills do kids need in order to be able to make sense of print symbols and to be able to produce those print symbols. Those three skills are phonology, morphology, and orthography. In episode 27, I really dove into phonology and what it is. So again, it's the study of how languages organize their sounds. And I gave some specific examples of how you can help to support your kids in having what's known as phonological awareness. So awareness of that sound system. And this is really important in helping kids to be able to develop those reading skills and to have strategies that they can use to be able to recall how words are spelled and to be able to make sense of words when they are reading them on a page. And I also talked about some common things that people might tell kids to do when they come to a word that they don't know that don't necessarily always help kids to do it effectively. So this is where I left off. I was about to get into what morphology and orthography are. So again, in those three bigger components that I talked about, so the structured intervention, the active and generative use, and the integration of skills, phonology 
morphology and orthography still fall under that first category of structured intervention. So what I wanted to do in this episode is really discuss what morphology is and what orthography is so that you can understand how important they are to helping kids learn to read. Before I go on, though, I wanted to mention that I do have a resource that not only gives you detailed definitions of all of these things that I'm discussing today, so morphology and orthography, but I also give you a list of flashcards and words that you can use, so different spelling patterns and concepts that you can use in order to help kids learn to read. So I really give you things like different homophones and prefixes and suffixes and root words, and I lay it all out in a way that gives you a ton of different concepts that you can teach kids in order to help them be familiar with some of those things that are needed for them to be able to just develop that automaticity. So that ability to just read words quickly and efficiently so that they can comprehend what they're reading. So this tool, the Word Study Toolkit, was originally created for SLPs, but I did want to make it available to listeners of the Are They 18 Yet podcast. I know I have a combination of speech pathologists, teachers, parents who want to help their kids. So I definitely have had people from all of those categories use this resource and find it really helpful in giving them some guidance on some different spelling patterns that they can teach their kids. And if you are interested in getting this resource, all you need to do is go to Dr. Karen Dudek Brannon backslash word study. Again, what it is, is a download with flashcards and lists of all these different spelling patterns and concepts that really fit into morphology and orthography, which is what I'm going to discuss today. So it's really going to give you that next step once we have this conversation today about why those skills are important. So again, if you wanted to check out that resource, just go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash word study and you'll be able to get instant access to that word study toolkit. So let's pick up where we left off and talk about morphology. So while phonology is the study of the sounds in language, morphology is the study of the forms of words known as morphemes. So there are two types of morphemes. There are grammatical morphemes and derivational morphemes. So grammatical morphemes are the grammatical units within words that change the grammatical structure. So this includes things like endings on verbs that change the tense or using the S to indicate that something is plural or possessive. So again, these are really important skills to learn because they, number one, are consistent patterns that kids need to spell over and over again. So if you're thinking about how to spell a verb, for example, let's say that you know how to spell the word walk. Well, you might know how to spell that word, but then if you want to make it past tense, you probably don't have to think very hard about how to do that. You already know how to spell the past tense ed, so you don't have to sound it out, or really think about it. Same thing if you were to add an ing. 
for example. So those are things that we perceive as patterns that go together. They have meaning. They make sense phonetically. So for example, you could sound out I-N-G. It makes sense the way that it's spelled, but it's also a consistent pattern. So you just know that it goes together. So when you have an understanding of those units and you know what they mean, What that does is it makes spelling and reading really fluid because we see it as a unit. We process it right away. We don't have to sound out individual sounds. We just see that as one big unit. So this is why it's important to know about morphology in addition to phonology because we want to be able to understand those individual sounds, but we also need to know those bigger units of words because When kids get into the later grades, so when they start to make the shift from learning to read to reading to learn, so in other words, in the early grades, when you are in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, maybe even third grade, you're you're still really learning to read, but then third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, you're starting to shift to just reading and learning some content, science, social studies, things like that. So when you make that shift, you start to read words that are longer, words that have multiple morphemes, what's known as multimorphemic words. Some of the examples I gave in episode 27 were words like cat and bat, and those have one morpheme and they're really easy to sound out and to figure out how to spell or read them when you're just thinking about the sounds. But it's really inefficient to do that when you have those longer words. So kids have to have an understanding of morphology. They have to have knowledge of those morphemes in order to be able to do that. And what's also really important is with grammatical morphemes, it's really important that they understand how to use those words in sentences as well while they're spelling. So again, all of those Grammatical morphemes like a past tense ed, an ing, an s to indicate that something belongs to someone, those all have meaning. So it's really important for kids to understand why words are spelled the way that they are, because that really solidifies their knowledge of not just how to spell individual words, but also the meaning behind the word in that sentence, because that's really how they're going to develop that high-level comprehension and also how they're going to be able to be good writers. Now, I will be perfectly honest. When I was a speech pathologists practicing in the schools, and I've noticed this among some of my colleagues as well, we do tend to write goals and really work on grammatical morphemes because they're pretty noticeable. A lot of times when kids have issues with language and they have language processing issues, those types of things are a little bit more obvious in normal conversation. So for example, For those of you who don't have a background in speech pathology, kids who have language processing issues will have a hard time understanding what they're reading. They will have a hard time following directions. They're the kid in class who they might be a couple steps behind the other kids because they're still processing those directions that you may have given them. And parents sometimes notice that they might tell their their kids a couple things that they need to do and they get distracted And they don't necessarily always follow through, or sometimes they don't necessarily seem like they're fully understanding what is being said to them. 
And they might also notice some little things in the way that their kids talk, such as making different grammatical errors. And so these things are a little more obvious. So sometimes we tend to focus on these, which is really important. These are important skills. But where sometimes we we forget are those other types of morphemes, what's known as derivational morphemes. These are a little bit sneakier in that sometimes when kids are having a hard time with these types of morphemes, it's harder to figure out where they're struggling. So while grammatical morphemes are things like verb endings and endings on plurals and things like that, derivational morphemes are the parts of words that change their meaning. So these are things like prefixes and suffixes. So prefixes like like re, for example, can change the meaning of a word, while an ending like ly can change the class of a word. So some examples would be if you put the prefix re on the word act, you've changed it to react. Now it is a different word. Or if you put the ly at the end of the word love, it changes from a noun or a verb into an adverb. So like I said before, I give a ton of examples of derivational morphemes that kids can work on in the Word Study Toolkit so that you have other examples to to help you understand what types of skills would fall under this category. But the reason that I say that they're a bit sneaky is because sometimes how it presents is that kids might have poor comprehension skills. They might be behind in reading. They may have a hard time catching on to spelling patterns. And the reason is because all of those different parts of words, just like grammatical morphemes, they are consistent patterns. They're consistent sequences of letters that mean something. And what happens is that when you try to memorize a really long word that has multiple morphemes in it, so for example, the word reaction, we have re, we have act, and then we have ion. Those are three distinct patterns. Those are three distinct parts of the word. And so your brain, without realizing it, when you're spelling that word, thinks about those three pieces, whether you realize it or not. And so kids who have a hard time catching on to those patterns, they just don't have any strategy for figuring out how to spell that word or how to pronounce it if they're reading the word and they don't know what they mean. They don't know what the individual parts mean and they might not know what the word means as a whole. So it can impact their vocabulary and it can impact their spelling. And both of those things are going to cause a breakdown in comprehension because, again, it's a cognitive load issue. Kids will be thinking so hard about how to spell a word or they might not even know what the word is and then they don't get the overall message of what they're reading. Or if they're writing, they forget what they were saying and they lose their train of thought. And where a lot of people struggle or sometimes try to help kids in a way that doesn't always move them forward is is that they they teach them to just kind of memorize sequences of letters without giving them some kind of meaning behind why the letters are sequenced together and so they're just memorizing strings of letters and there's no way for them to transfer one 
sequence of letters from from one word over to another context. So for example, if they're just drilling a word in a spelling list and writing it over and over again, and they don't know why the word is spelled the way that it is, they're not paying attention to those different parts of the word and the different pieces of it, or paying attention to those common patterns, like again, the prefixes, the suffixes, things like that, then they don't have any strategy that they can use in other contexts, like if they see the word in a book that they're reading, or if they are writing a paragraph and they have to spell that word. And what people sometimes do is resort to memorization, and that just doesn't transfer over. Or what people sometimes do is they'll just point out different strings of letters and words that aren't morphemes. So for example, they'll just pick, like in the word red, you see the sequence of letters R-E, but it's not the same as the R-E in the word react, because in red, it's just that way because it happens to be that way in the way that you spell that word, but in the word react, it's there because it's a prefix. So sometimes people try to make patterns where patterns don't exist, but if you pay attention to actual morphemes, so actual prefixes, actual suffixes, those patterns happen over and over again. And kids have to learn how to mix and match them so that they can take a prefix in one word and remember how to spell it when they come to another word that has that same prefix. So understanding patterns and rules is really important to them being able to develop that automaticity and to be able to read words automatically so that they can comprehend. Now, what I've found is that schools are getting better about incorporating things like phonological awareness into early literacy curriculums. So some of those things that I talked about in episode 27, where we're thinking about the sounds and we're thinking about the letters, but work on morphology is not done as much as it's needed. There's a misconception that it is an advanced skill for older students or that reading skills need to be taught in certain stages. So, for example, people sometimes think, oh, we need to teach phonology and kids need to be 100% solid with that before we can even start talking about morphology, for example. But that's not true. Because what the research actually shows is that as early as first grade, kids are starting to notice morphemes like prefixes and suffixes, and they're able to use that information to figure out what a word might mean. And they also can use that information to start to figure out how to spell words. Now, if they are in an early grade, like kindergarten or first grade, of course, they're not going to be able to spell a ton of words with multiple morphemes, but they are starting to pay attention to some of that information. So while we might not expect kids to be 100% successful and always get the answer right when we're working on some of those skills, it's really important to start giving them some exposure because what the research has also shown is that kids who have strong knowledge of morphemes or or some awareness of it in those early years tend to be better readers in the later grades. And we also know that struggling readers tend to lack that knowledge through secondary school and even through adulthood. And finally, what we also know is that working directly and teaching kids to pay attention to the morphemes and words, so both the grammatical and the derivational morphemes, that that actually helps to build 
decoding, and that actually improves reading performance. Again, as I said before, by late elementary school, kids are expected to read texts that have multimorphemic words. And sounding it out can be helpful for shorter words with only one morpheme, but that strategy doesn't work as well when you have a word like recreation, for example, that has a whole bunch of different morphemes in it. For that word specifically, we've got four distinct morphemes. We have R-E, we have C-R-E, we have A-T-E, and we have I-O-N. All of those are distinct patterns. So it would make sense for kids to pay attention to not just phonology and not just the sounds in the word, but also to be able to pay attention to the morphemes in the words. Previously, we thought that we had to wait till third, fourth, fifth, maybe even sixth or seventh grade to start to teach kids these skills. But what we found is that actually you not only can start to teach these skills in the early grades, but if kids don't get that instruction in the early grades, then sometimes they're behind. And this is especially important for kids who struggle to learn to read because they tend to need things to be more explicit and direct. Some kids might be okay with a lot without a lot of direct instruction because they just naturally catch on to those things. But if you have a child who is struggling or if you just want to be proactive, it is really to their advantage to pay attention to these things. The really interesting thing is that you don't have to teach kids every single prefix and suffix in order for them to improve their spelling skills. You can actually just start to teach them some of these concepts. And what happens is that as you start to teach them different patterns over time, they do start to build their knowledge, but they also start to understand that they need to look for those different patterns in words. So a little bit can go a long way. And again, as I said, if you're feeling kind of overwhelmed, like, how do I even know what prefixes and suffixes and different spelling patterns to teach? That's why I've got it laid out in the, the Word Study Toolkit. So what I wanted to do now is move on to orthography and talk about what that is. And again, that is something I define in the toolkit as well. Orthography is the study of a spelling system in a language. A lot of people confuse this with handwriting, but it's not the same thing. The formation of letters is definitely important, but we also need to pay attention to the meaning behind those symbols and recognize common spelling patterns. Reading and spelling need to be automatic for kids to be good readers, as I've said before, because we don't want to waste cognitive resources thinking about how to decode words. We want to save as much as we can for high-level comprehension. So that's why studying orthography along with phonology and morphology is really important. When you're studying morphology and you're looking at those different parts of words like the prefixes, the root words, the grammatical endings, and you're talking about how they're spelled, you're actually working on orthography as well. So when you're working on morphology, you're also studying orthography. So you can kind of kill two birds with one stone. And when you're doing phonological awareness exercises and talking about the letters that go with the sounds, you're also studying orthography because you're talking about the print symbols. Something else that's really important is that you are studying orthography when you're studying homophones and you're 
paying attention to words that we often refer to as multiple meaning words. So there are some words that sometimes they are spelled the same, but they have two different meanings or some words seem to sound the same or they're pronounced the same way, but they're spelled differently and they have different meanings. And I've outlined all of those different things in the toolkit as well. But some examples that come up commonly where kids might tend to make mistakes are words like R-A-R-E or O-U-R, or maybe words like steak as in the meat or steak as in the pole that you put in the ground when you are putting up a tent. So paying attention to those things are really important. It builds vocabulary, it builds grammar, and it also helps kids to understand different spelling patterns. Something else that also comes up that can be challenging for kids are other spelling patterns that don't have a one-to-one correspondence between letters and sounds. But when you actually break them down, they do have a consistent pattern. They occur over and over again. They have meaning and they're common sequences. And, and when you think about the sounds that go with the letters, there's still a pattern between how the sounds and letters go together. It's just not a one-to-one correspondence. So for example, with a word like bat, you have a one-to-one correspondence. You have b at. There's three phonemes and there's three letters. But when you have something like caught, for example, which is C-A-U-G-H-T, we have the, the k that goes with the C. We have the A-U-G-H that goes with ah. And then we have the t, which goes with the T. So there's still a pattern there. It's just not a one-to-one correspondence. And where people sometimes make mistakes with teaching kids is that they say, oh, these are exceptions to the rule. These are crazy, weird words that have no no spelling patterns and you just have to memorize them. And that's not true. There's always a pattern and a reason why a word is spelled the way that it is. And we really do our kids a disservice if we tell them it doesn't follow the rules and they just have to memorize it. Because let's be honest, if you have a child who's struggling to spell, they are not going to memorize it. It's just not going to stick. Now, kids don't have to learn every single spelling pattern in order to be proficient readers and writers. However, if we explain that they need to look for these patterns and start to teach these patterns and point them out to kids, they're way more likely to be able to learn them and just be able to catch on to other patterns independently. So, I think some people assume that it's easier to just brush off more difficult words and explain them as exceptions because they think that kids won't understand them, or maybe they don't really understand why a word is spelled the way that it is themselves. And this is not to say that they're not intelligent. It's just that sometimes when we know something really well, we don't always know why we know it. And we just kind of tuck it away. And and for kids that are struggling, we do need to be more explicit and direct. And so it does benefit them in order to explain why and explain the meaning behind things. And there is no shame if you know how to spell a bunch of different words, but you have no idea why they're spelled the way that they are, but you just implicitly know how to spell things. And maybe you're not always sure how to explain it because this is pretty common. 
I have to do it all the time. I'm always learning new patterns, or maybe I know how to spell different words, but I don't always know how to explain them. And and I'm always learning ways to be more specific about why words are spelled the way that they are and how I explain the rules. And so you can adopt the same approach because really, if you're not sure about it, a simple Google search is often enough to look up a spelling pattern. Or if you're not sure how many prefixes or how many morphemes are in a word, you can always look it up. Sometimes I find myself thinking, hmm, is this is this a morpheme? Is this a prefix or a suffix? And, and so I just look it up and then I know the answer. Totally okay. No shame if you don't know these off the top of your head, even if you are a, a language expert, even if you're a speech pathologist. All of us don't know all these things, but we just need to know where to get that information and how to explain it to kids. So the takeaway is let's give our kids the benefit of the doubt and tell them the truth, because in order for them to develop that automaticity, they need things to be direct. And again, we give them the benefit of the doubt because we don't want to assume that they're not going to catch on to something. And if we tell them a lie and say something is an exception when it's really not, that doesn't really help them because it doesn't help them find meaning behind spellings. And that's really what they need to know in order to be able to generalize and take one spelling from a structured situation where you might be practicing a spelling list and be able to remember it in another situation. To summarize, What we talked about in episode 27 was those three pieces, so the high-level framework and the components that need to be there in order for kids to develop good language and literacy skills are structured intervention, active and generative use, and integration of skills. And in episode 27, I talked about one of the three components that falls under that structured intervention, which is phonology. And then I talked about two more pieces that need to fall under that structured intervention. Today, in this episode, I talked about morphology and orthography. And in the next episode, I'm going to talk more about what active and generative use are, as well as integration of skills. And that's going to really tie together this discussion about how technology fits into this. Again, remember that in order to figure out, okay, how do we help kids develop these literacy skills, regardless of what technology they're using, is we've got to understand what pieces need to be there in the first place. And that's why I've talked so specifically about these skills, because when we're thinking about, hey, my child is using this technology and, and this is these are the things that they're exposed to and these are the skills that we're practicing, well, we need to figure out how they line up with the skills that they need to practice. So stay tuned for a continuation of the impact of technology, texting, and just overall what kids need to be successful readers and spellers in episode 29. And if you haven't already, go back and listen to episode 27, where I started out this discussion and I talked about what we know so far as far as the trends of and the impact of texting, as well as one of the key pieces that kids need in order to be able to figure out words that might be unfamiliar to them. Mm-hmm. 
So what I wanted to do now before we wrap up is just to remind you that I do have more detailed definitions and examples of some of these concepts in the Word Study Toolkit. Specifically, it gets really deep into building morphology and orthography. There are a lot of resources out there for speech pathologists, for for teachers and different reading curriculums, and maybe even some blogs that are pretty parent-friendly that focus on phonological awareness, which again is super important, but there aren't as many resources that focus on morphology and orthography. So that's why I've created the Word Study Toolkit that really dives into these pieces because what I have found is that a lot of kids will struggle with words that are a little bit longer and have more sophisticated spelling patterns. So when it gets beyond the basic words that don't necessarily have a one-to-one correspondence, there isn't as much emphasis on morphology and orthography as there is on those early developing phonics skills. So that's why I really wanted to focus a resource on morphology and orthography as well, so that we could start addressing some of these skills that really help kids be strong readers and spellers. So again, to get access to the Word Study Toolkit and check that out to see what is included, you can go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash word study. Again, that's drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash word study. So before we wrap up, I wanted to remind you that it really helps us out if you give us a five-star rating and review on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And also, I wanted to remind you that it really helps us out and other people out who need this information if you share this with your friends. So if you found this episode helpful, if you know someone who is supporting a child or children in learning to read, then definitely share this episode with them. For now, we'll wrap up. And as always, thank you for listening, and I will see you in episode 29. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments without just teaching to the test? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com backslash BE to learn how IXL's research-based teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com backslash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. 
When added into the master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE.